Pickaxe. Folks, welcome to Dungeons and Randomness. Since 2012, myself and an amazing cast of 18 have been telling stories in our homebrew world of Theria. Four different groups explore lost ruins, run for political office, rage against a mad king, set sail to long forgotten islands, and so much more. Every group has a different story and flavor, and every season or arc has a new set of groups and stories all building the history of our world with every single session. Literally hundreds of hours of stories are waiting for you as part of the Pickaxe Network. Check out Dungeons & Randomness wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you around the table. Welcome to uh, Video Game, the movie, the podcast, with myself, Rory Jocelyn of Cyberpunk Studios, and with me is Jamie Evans from Impala Films. Help me. Look, I'm showing you all the best stuff. We started off with Super Mario Brothers, the movie, and we're moving on to a film that's very different. Uh, now, you're a big horror aficionado, mm-hmm. and I know you loved horror, so mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. a video game-based movie, or kind of relatively video gamey. that's also a horror called Stay Alive. Now, for anyone who's not aware of the idea of the show, we're just going to try and go through every single video game, movie, TV show adaptation... Uh, and basically say whether or not it's worth your time. Uh, that means uh, poor Jamie suffering through an awful lot of hot garbage. Uh, as I say, we, we've done the Super Mario Brothers movie the previous week, which is not hot garbage, but he believes it is. Um, and anyone who says it is is wrong. Anyway, that's uh, a type of movie which is a film specifically based on one particular franchise. We're going to do something slightly different for this episode, where we're going to do a film that is referencing video games very specifically but is not about a specific existing video game no it's about a fictional one yes uh now there are some references to real video games in there but obviously for the most part it's kind of more i'd say it's more should we we could probably classify it more as a gamer culture film rather Mm. than being a video game adaptation in and of itself because yes there's no video game it's adapting but it is about gamers and gamer culture but it's not a documentary it's a fictional horror film so we're going to do this in sequence we're going to talk about the story we're going to talk about the visuals we're going to talk about the audio and then we're going to go through a couple of the references that the film uh, well we're going to go through all the references that this film has because this film has very few but it does have a few worth mentioning Hmm. so we're going to start with story the film starts off with loads of jump scares with a man a guy called Loomis he's playing a video game where he has to break into this creepy house and try and find out what's going on he gets murdered in the game by getting pushed off by like demon babies off of a balcony and getting hung to death in the video game this freaks him out because for some reason playing video games scares people nowadays and it's not PT let's be clear this is not PT there's no reason they should be that afraid of being killed in a cheesy horror video game He then goes to see his friends in the other room to try and sort of calm his nerves. His two friends, a man and a woman, are having coitus in the other room. Yes, banging a mash. And the guys bang, 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 bang. But the guys wearing a the guys wearing a pig mask. Hey, hey, don't kink shame. Well, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, literally like pigs and shit, they are screwing 
quite avidly. He goes back, like, and he starts hearing this haunting, which is... It happens throughout the whole film. It gets quite monotonous after a while. It's meant to be the sound of a video game controller vibrating on a hard surface. After watching it again, because you watched it with me, you downloaded a copy, we did it for your Jamie, Your Film Taste Sucks podcast, and it was 4 by 3 and it was, you know, it was kind of hard to see. I now have the uncut German DVD, because there is no Blu-ray. Of course there's no Blu-ray! Who would put this movie on Blu-ray? Why would they release an uncut version on DVD? But there you go. Which is 16 by 9 so you get much more framing. It's a little bit easier to see, but not by much, because the whole film is way too dark. We'll come to that in the visual section. And the audio is a bit clearer, so you actually get a lot more showing that it's meant to be a controller vibrating, that noise as a haunting but it's the same noise repeated every time so it gets really monotonous every time there's one it's throughout the sound session yeah alright mate I get it it's like find a haunting sound that actually scares me not that annoys me yeah you've got he gets scared that he's going to get murdered he runs back to his friend's room for solace and they've been murdered in brutal ways in their room and then he ends up falling backwards off his balcony and being hung to death in the hallway the way he died in the game that gives you basically the basic setup. When you play this particular video game, you will die the way you died in the game. Yeah. That's the basic premise. There's five main characters. You have Hutch, who is the blandest man in the universe, who is our heroic male lead. You have Abigail, who is kind of his the blonde-haired love interest, uh, and she's a photographer. You have October, who is the hot goth chick. You have... Their friend, who I don't remember the name of, who is essentially a stoner, but in the theatrical cut, you can't tell he's a stoner, because they cut all these stoner references out. Um, he's the one played by one of the McPoyle twins from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's the one, yeah. But in, in the uncut version, you actually see him at one point when they think he's dead, he then gets up and he's got literally the world's largest bong that he's taking a big hit out of. And you've got the, the most famous person in the whole film. What's his name? The guy who plays Malcolm in Malcolm in the Middle. Frankie Muniz. Frankie Muniz. There you go. Frankie Muniz is in it. He's kind of yeah. the only name. The only other person we recognised, other than the stoner Frankie Muniz, is the first friend of that group who isn't part of the main team, really. When they decide to play the video game the guy died playing, just like in memory oh. of, they're all playing in one room on one big, large LCD TV. Mm. Five players on one screen, all first person, but there's no, it's not split screen, there's no explanation of how they've managed to do that. Yeah. It's just, they don't show you that. They don't show you the, the, how the meat is made. But there's one guy who's playing on his own in an office somewhere yeah. with them online. And that guy's played by the guy who is Chandler's roommate temporarily in Friends. Eddie. Yeah. Eddie, who ends up being a bit of a psycho. To be fair, the girl who plays October, although I wasn't familiar with her, she's one of these actresses who was big on, you know, one of these shows like either The O.C. or 90210, oh, the one of them. watch, yeah. And the guy who dies at the beginning is actually Milo Ventimiglia, who later went on to be big in Heroes. Okay, I haven't watched that either. No. Fair enough. Okay, so good for the kids. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the fact you knew the characters, be, be honest, you went and looked up the character names, didn't you? No, because I, while the... I was taking my notes, I, I just wrote him as Guy. You can see there, Guy. And because <laughs> I didn't remember his name. And then later on in the film, someone mentioned that his name was Loomis, so I thought, oh, I better reference that. 
earlier on, so I crossed it out in red and put Loomis. Fair enough. So you can see that I didn't remember his name at first. (laughs) No, I'm going to say, when when I watched this film, I mean, it's been about a week, and I I immediately forgot everyone's name, except October. I was going to call Hot, yeah, October's the only one I remembered, because she's hot. Well, she's hot, but it's also a, it's an unusual name. Yeah. So it sticks out. Well, Hotch... He's, I was gonna. I, literally, there's a final version of this where I put a note where I call him Jacob. Yeah, lead is so bland. I shall call him Jacob, like a Jacob's cracker, because he is literally so bland. There is no personality to that biscuit. Offensive to Jacobs. Well, offensive to crackers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know that has a double meaning, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> well, um, I said it. So, yeah, so you've got all of these characters in there. They're all friends. Oh, yeah, there's something weird. So when Loomis dies, Hutch is his best friend. He goes to the funeral, and there's this line said by Abigail. At this point, Abigail doesn't know anyone. She's invited to the party because she gets close to Hutch in the funeral scene. She's taking photos of crying people because that's what you do at a funeral, apparently, on an old Polaroid camera. I don't know why she didn't have a digital camera, but there you go. She comes up to him afterwards and says, and this is a quote, so many crying faces at this funeral, but yours seems to be the saddest, but you weren't crying. Now, a few things. Number one, Exposition. Yes, but number two, so many crying faces at this funeral. Yours seems to be the saddest, but you weren't crying. So how did he seem sadder without crying? Well, this is the thing. It's was one it of those like pretentious a- writing things where they're trying to get over, you know, crying is like a fake form of sadness, and this man is wounded on a deep, soulful level. No, no, your no. acting's terrible, your filmmaking's terrible, and you needed to get across the fact he was sad, but your actor isn't able to cry. Absolutely, that's the one. So there's that, but and then you go. Well, he's the saddest, but you know the mum and the family are all there. But it hit him hardest. Yeah, balls. And he even says at some point, "I hadn't seen him for months." Oh, so he really fucking cared. There's, you know, I I think the the audience need to be made aware of one thing here that pretty much will sum up anything we can say. This is a mid two thousands. American horror film. Yeah, and not a good one. A generic. No, no, this is what I'm saying. There are no good mid-2000s American horror films. They're all this generic. It's it's a post-saw... Copycat. That bland awful colour palette where everything is tinted a pale green for some reason mm. like daylight looks like it is the we'll front come cover to that in visuals but yeah, yeah. we'll cover the, the, the look of this film needs a specific discussion on it to be honest so we've got that however when she says you know that he's the saddest you sit there going come on he's got mum and dad there Loomis's sister comes along to give Hutch the game goes well we were good dad was just going to bin it so I thought well you're his friend you like games so maybe you'd appreciate it as a keepsake Mm. right the sister does not seem to care or have any emotional reaction to the fact that her brother is dead She's literally just reading lines as if they're on a plaque behind Hutch, which they probably were when she was saying them. I was going to say, they probably were. And he's like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she's like, yeah, right, cuddle time, thanks. And then she's gone. And you're like, well... This, like, there is no grief in this scene. The biggest grieving scene and no one's grieving. So I mentioned that there's the hot goth chick. Uh, we first see her, October, at the computer shop. Now, in the early to mid-2000s, people might not know this 
now in general, but there was a lot of what they called internet cafes. Now people have really fast internet connections at home and no issue, but during the early to mid-2000s, broadband was only really just coming in. So most people's was dial-up. They didn't want to spend their own home phone bill to do it, so they'd go to internet cafes, actual cafe set up with lots of rows of PCs where you'd game and you'd have, you know, and it was actually quite a nice environment, I think, for people, though they were full of fat, sweaty, balding men like us. It was kind of an environment, I think, for nerds to just nerd out. There were no hot goth chicks in internet cafes. Yeah, to be fair, I'm going to defend the movie on this point. No. Which is, I like having attractive ladies in my movie. I like that, Reality but she's not be rea- damned. <laughs> it's not real. Reality be there. As we've established on my other podcast, realism ain't my bag, man. Look, here's the thing. I'm not, I kind of am arguing for realism, but I'm arguing it because I wish that there were hot goth chicks whenever I went anywhere, and there never bloody were. So, <laughs> it's more that I'm, I am jealous of the men in this film that <laughs> my, they had a hot goth chick just chilling out in the most random of places. My, my anger will know no bounds. Absolutely. So in the uncut version, there's a few things that have been changed. There's not much. There is a few things. There's a lot of inappropriate things that the guy from Moss's thing says to his sister, the the stoner guy. Oh, yeah, the guy from um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, like, even in the theatrical cut. Stop creaming everywhere. <laughs> you did this in Super Mario Brothers. Leave your cream alone, sir. Even in the theatrical cut, I was... Um, at first, I didn't realise they were brother and sister. Yeah. Because their relationship... he's a bit flirty, isn't he? Yeah. And he touches her quite a lot, I think. Yeah. There's a, there's a, he says innuendos to her. And not in a kind of, oh, this will piss you off. Kind of in a, oh, what do you think of that, darling? And she's like, uh, and she's the one who's basically saying, it's disgusting having my brother say that. It's like, dude, don't say that. Don't do not do that with your sister. And they hang out all the time. Like, I don't know if it's just me and my family have a weird relationship, but... I don't think I don't brothers and sisters out hang out 24-7. No, but this happens in American stuff all the time. And I don't know if it's just because that's their culture or if it's just balls that their media puts in to mm. make their stories somehow work. But, you know, is it is it real or is it not? Amer- any Americans out there listening, please let us know. Do you actually chill out with your brother and sister 24-7? So we go, basically, they go to play the game at Hutch's house or Hutch's flat. Now, so this is where... That was a weird laugh. Yeah, so Malcolm from Malcolm Minimal enters in the scene here, and he's wearing that poker hat, but wrongly. Yeah, was Um, there ever, in your version, was there an explanation for why he's wearing No, Uh, though there are a few lines that were cut from the theatrical version, which actually make the theatrical version age a bit better. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, yeah, he's not only got the cap, that's weird, he puts on this arm brace so he doesn't get repetitive strain in his wrist when he's playing games on his laptop, Sensible, right? sensible. So he's put on this arm brace, and the stoner guy says to him... Um, um, hang on, I want to predict this. It's some kind of wanking-related joke, isn't it? Nope. No. No. Oh, go ahead. Then. No, if, if only it were that witty. No, he literally goes, why are you wearing that? The strap smells, and it's gay. It's Wait, not what? It's, yeah, there's no wit to it. There's no, and he, in, it's only in the uncut, ver, uncut version he says it. But yeah, he just goes. The, basically, this guy's wrist strap is gay, and I was like, hey, uh, avoiding, <laughs> avoiding, be, taking, <laughs> taking responsibility to protect yourself against injury. That's totally gay, dude. Yeah, that's only what gays do. Yeah, it's like what. The f- 
My so, God. yeah, yeah. so that hasn't aged. But what has really not aged very well? God, the mid-2000s. Man. Oh, I know, it was garbage trends, right? So, this, <laughs> what's even worse is this scene was completely cut from the theatrical version. You've not seen any of this. Oh, oh right? go on. So, there's a moment where Abigail says, oh, I just need to use the toilet. Uh, Hodge goes, oh, it's just over there, and she walks out. I'm not sure if that happens in the theatrical cut. However, this whole sequence doesn't happen in the theatrical cut. Mm. Hodge then remembers that there's no toilet paper in the toilet. So he's like, like, oh, I've got to get us some bog roll. Not He doesn't say in those terms. Oh, no. So he gets some toilet roll, knocks on the door, and he's like, sorry, I just remembered that there's no toilet paper in there. And she's like, oh, that's fine. I I can get some from under the sink. And he's like, yeah, that's the thing. There isn't any under the sink. I forgot to put it in there. But I've got some in my hand. I can hand it to you through the door if you like. And she's like, oh, that's weird. Uh, Okay, then. So she unlocks the door, opens the door a crack. And the thing is, the door opens with a full view of the toilet. That she's sitting there. She's got her trousers and her knickers around her ankles, right? And she's kind of covering herself like, oh, can I just have the thing? He's like, yeah, that's fine. He hands her the bog roll. And then there's this really awkward moment where the camera starts off on her lower legs and feet and slowly pans up on her nudity as she's like trying to cover herself and she's just like, what are you, why are you looking? And it's a slow pan. It's noticeably slow. Nah, the- and, he's, and then it cuts back to him with that sort of a gormless, like, oh, that's so hot face. I'm like... A woman on the toilet is hot? What that, I... that is a director with a toilet fetish. That, yeah. Now, she... we, we don't kink shame here. But no. For the love of God. Don't put it in the film. We don't need it in the film. No. I, I, I haven't seen the scene and I feel skeevy. Yeah. So he says this the weird toilet paper moment. I, call, I put it on here because it just is odd. He's paused and she doesn't find it creepy. She's like, what are you doing? You're so weird. And you're like... No, no, I don't think that's how a woman reacts in this scenario. Now, you said you don't care about realism when I said there's a goth chick in the thing. I think you could agree this might be where it pushes the line. Yep, yep I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, so yeah, he, he then goes, oh, sorry about that. She closes the door to continue to do what she needs to do. Tinkle. Yep. You'd think he'd walk off. Does he listen? No. He decides that this is the point. It's almost like he's autistic. Uh, it's the only time he is, though, so I don't think it was meant to be. He stands up and goes, Hey, uh, me and October... Oh, no, sh- yeah, he goes, Me and October met when uh, we were playing Unreal Tournament. Do you remember Unreal Tournament? It's like, dude, don't chat to her about Unreal Tournament and your friend October while she's having a poo. Like, this is not... This isn't the time. What's going on? So, yeah, there's that. Um, so, But that's a reference that was cut. So, thankfully, Unreal Tournament was added back in... Uh, to the script there. <laughs> now, when they get to playing the game, when they first turn the game on, there's a chant, like an enchantment, mm. that they have to read. And it turns out that it's voice activated. There is no explanation of how voice activation is working or if they've got any mics or anything, but I'm guessing... the Supernatural! Uh, supernatural voice listening. But one thing that's mentioned by Frankie Muniz, when they read, the, one of them starts reading it, it blow, billows a bit, and they're like, wow... Uh, he got, someone goes, oh, it must be voice activated. Frankie Muniz says, voice activated? No way. That's next generation technology. Right? So they're playing it on a PC at this point in 2005, 2006. At the end of the film, the 
game is released on PS2. Spoiler alert for the end, but we were going to do that anyway later. So we know that PS2 exists at this point in this world. We know that they're playing it on PCs and Alienware PCs specifically. That's happening in this world. These things had voice recognition technology, and I know they did. And here's how I know they did. PS2 had a game called Seaman. So did the Dreamcast. And I have Seaman on the Dreamcast with the microphone. It's voice-activated technology. It was If it existed on the Dreamcast, it's not next-generation technology to the PlayStation 2. It just isn't. No. So... Was Nintendo DS out in 2006? Because Nintendo DS had voice features on it as well. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. So it was, it was just something added in to try and make it like, wow, this is so futuristic. I, I doth believe this movie was made by someone who doth not play video games. Yeah, or someone trying to be the, more edgy than they knew. You know, about. Be- between that, the fact that later on we'll get to this later on, but all the props are just dirt cheap, old gen props. Yep. And the fact that, as you mentioned already. They're somehow playing five-player co-op on one screen, all from a pers- all from a first-person perspective. Um, although the the game seems to change, doesn't it? Sometimes it's a third-person perspective, and sometimes it's first-person. Yep. Um, which I'm not saying has never happened. Resident Evil Dead Aim did that. Yeah, but um, but you've got um, there's no split screen, like you said. They're all no. playing on one telly, but somehow all watching their own characters. That's it. And the thing is, they had a supervisor for the video game segments in Cliff Blazinski, the guy who made Gears of War. Mm. And I'm like, did they just ask him to tell them how to make a video game thing and then ignore him, or was he literally that dumb on video game stuff before? he made video games like Gears of War I'm sure he must have known more than what they put in the film they just went eh it'll look better this way anyway there's another cut bit that makes no sense so after they play the game for a bit the only guy that dies is the guy in the office they all turn off the game the next morning they're like oh man that was a really long sesh it's a wild night dude oh to Loomis you know because you know we played the game for him apparently there is an odd addition by Frankie Muniz that never gets referenced again and you never see the effects of it. Mm. He turns to the stoner guy right at the end after having a bit of a, you know, banterous sesh with the stoner guy. Turns to him and goes, hey guys, I found the nude code. It's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A. Now that code is... That's the, the Konami code. That's the Konami code. Now that was cut out of the theatrical version, so it, but, which was a nice reference, but it made no sense because he just turns to the stone and goes, hey, I, I found the new code is this, and he, the guy seems to put it in, and he's like, oh, wow. It's like, how did you find the nude cheat while playing a game where you play against murderous vampires and zombies? and mm. like, it, it, Why would you... What are you looking at that's nude? You're playing as a guy for one thing, so you're just looking at tackle. And number two, the only other things you're watching are dead. So, <laughs> I, would, I like nude corpses. I, I, would, I would say that that wouldn't happen, but being a Resident Evil fan and having started playing people PC make nude games, mods. People, like, don't get me wrong, I'm a sick individual. I get it when people nude mod Jill Valentine and Claire Redfield. It makes sense to me, you know. Fine, I don't get it, they're animated, but fine. What I don't understand, but is a very popular mod, is nude nemesis and nude zombie. And, and when I say oh. nude nemesis, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you weren't intending this to be PG. I'm talking nude nemesis with a solid 12 inch erect cock. Erect? Erect. I mean, how are you running? Jutting, jutting straight out of his body at a right angle. You sure it's a third arm? I mean, he's a mutant. They've also nude modded <laughs> Wesker. Um, uh, Krauser. Um, it's not near. It's Leon. Not, it's, no. 
all erect. But those are mods. All I mean, this is thick they, and pulsing. Okay, fine. But those are mods done by a, an overly thirsty fan community, right? Oh no, no. But I was just saying, people want to see this. Is what no, I'm I get it. But, but I, you're right. But it, they would. The developers wouldn't put this in. The developer wouldn't put it in. And like, how would he have found it? Yeah, like, he I'll just, tell you how. Sesh, because, he just discovered the Konami because code. the writer of this game does not play video games. Went online, I was like, "What are some video game references we could do?" Oh, Konami code. Um, Either um, that or it's something he got off Cliff uh, Blazinski, and it was the only fucking advice he took. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Hutch goes back to work the next day, and Miller, the guy who they've been playing with and got killed in the office, you know, the police are there looming over his body. There's a black and a white detective who are working together on the murder. They sit him down and goes, oh, you hang on, you were speaking to him last night. He's like, yeah, no, I was at home on, we were playing online with this, that and the other. And he was, he was like, have you got anyone who can corroborate your story? He's like, yeah, I was there with four of my friends. He t- the black detective turns to the white detective, I don't remember their names either, turns to the white detective and goes, make sure we get those names. Oh. The white detective nods and then the black guy turns back to converse with Harch but never asks him for the names. Like, well, yeah. if you want the names... Get them from that guy. The, 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 <laughs> I do remember the detective had a funny name. Did he? It I was can't something like name. Detective Beauregard or something. Oh like yeah, that. it was like Beauregard or something. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm Beauregard. There's a point where Abigail tries to light something with a lighter, and it triggers Hutch. Trigger alert! I say trigger. <laughs> um, and it triggers him a bit, and she goes, "Oh, sorry." And he's like, "No, don't worry, sorry. I've got a thing with fire. It's no big deal." Yeah, I remember there's a scene I've got a where thing you see with him fire. take his shirt off and he's got scars. Yes. Because his house burnt down or yes. something. Yes, that's fine. But, I mean, I qu- that's a quote. I've got a thing with fire, it's no big deal. I don't think to that's fair, a line you would use. That joins... We forgot to say this in the Super Mario episode, but I think we should start like keeping track of this. Sure. That That is... That joins from Super Mario, our collection of worst lines ever... Which in Super Mario was Daisy being like, um, oh, that's from when I was found. Oh, yes. I'm adopted, by the way, or yes. whatever it was. When they're said. at the dinner table, yeah. yeah. With people she's just met. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's. But they ha- yeah, I had this rock when they found me. Found you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was abandoned. That was it, that yeah. Was it. Yeah, I was abandoned, ain't no. But she <laughs> says it with such a sunny. Yeah, disposition. Like, oh, guys, I was abandoned. Yeah. I was abandoned, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> origin story yeah. and that's what this is like yeah. yeah I have a thing with fire, fire. it's no big deal uh, I think that also goes with you, so many crying faces at this funeral you'll seem to be the saddest but you weren't crying terrible lines terrible dialogue um, so there's uh, at, while Hutch is trying to investigate certain things in um, at his workplace there is a Sadako there and I call it a Sadako or a Samara if you like all of the zombie girls Look like Sadako or Samara, where they're just like in a white gown with long black hair Look, covering their a, zombie it's faces. It's a Sadako. It is a Sadako. It's literally just that. There's no originality in this piece at all. As more and more of them die, multiple people end up getting stabbed with shears, but uh, the cops aren't looking for a serial killer at that point. Mm. You're like, and they always going at shears. Hmm, it's very similar to the other one. Uh, well, I don't know who this who could have committed this. Like, probably the same guy. The guy you didn't catch the last bloody time. But they do eventually put the pieces together. The brother, Finn. That's the name of the stoner, Finn. There's a point where he's playing the game by himself. And he doesn't die in the game yet. But he's on this creepy road and he hides behind a tree in the game. 
the guys stop him playing and like, no, you got to stop playing because you know they they kind of figured out that if you die in the game, you die in real life. Mm. And he doesn't believe it. He goes out for a drive in his sports car. It's a, like some sort of Mustang Sally. Yeah, it's not a Mustang. It's, uh, it's Ferrari. Isn't it? No, it's not. It's it, it has a similar look to that, but it's definitely a muscle car. It says on the back, Dodge? is it a Corvette? I think it is. Corvette. I think it's a Corvette. He's yeah. It's, it begins with a C for definite. So he goes out and he's Corvette, and he sees a dead girl on the road, like from the game. It freaks him out, and he swerves, but he doesn't hit a tree because I don't think they can afford to write the car off. So he just <laughs> breaks in time. Gets Gets out a bit worried, and then the guys call him to say, "Look, just whatever you do, the game's starting to play itself. I think you need to, you know, be safe." So he walks along this empty highway. The sound of clopping hooves from horses coming towards him. He doesn't get back in the car, and they're like, "Just wait there. We'll come and get you. Go back in the car, then." Yeah, exactly. Wait in the car. He never gets back in the car. So that's a dumb move from him. <laughs> There's one point where Hutch, after so Finn gets killed, basically mm-hmm. at that point. And the cops are on Hutch again, going, oh, you just happened to be at the crime scene again when this guy died. Hutch picks up a pink folder that the police have with information and literally slams it on Detective Beauregard's chest. And I'm just like, well, hang on, calm down, son. You're going to be arrested for that. Yeah, that's assaulting a police officer. Just assault a police officer just for the fun of it. The white police officer plays the game again while uh, Frankie Muniz tries to tell him not to. He basically tells Frankie Muniz to go stop being such a a libtard and (laughs) continues playing. I hate that term. (laughs) But yeah, he plays the game, gets killed in the game, just goes, oh, it's a naff game, not from here, and walks off all proud of himself. October the goth chick says to Hutch, because her brother's just died, she's weeping, she says, Why'd you have to bring that game into our lives, Hutch? Like he knew. Like, yeah. At what point could you guess that? At least we're finally getting someone showing some emotion in this she's film. She's the only one who does, and she's meant to be the soulless goth. Mm. It's like she's the only one showing any actual emotion. The cop goes to the store to ask a village idiot about what he knows about the game. The guy, I don't know why he doesn't look on Google or do any sort of actual research. He just goes into a store. There's some office nut druggy Burke working the store register. He's like, have you heard about this game? I don't know. It could be like on the cover and stuff. And he's like, well, you're a moron. And then he just calls him up and goes, no, I can't find any information. Is that... You're not really a cop, are you? Not really... You can't, I don't think you can call yourself a detective if that's all you've got. You're not detecting, damn you. No, exactly. He then gets into his car and is murdered the same way as he is in the game. Now, in the uncut version, the way he's killed in the game is he's, like, sort of strapped to this chair. These metal claws go into his mouth and pull his head apart. And, Very Hellraiser. Yeah, and in the CGI segment, in the uncut version, you actually see the character's head get pulled into two. Mm. So it's much more gory, though it is still the CGI that's doing it, not the man. When the man dies, there is no difference between the uncut and the theatrical version. The things go in his mouth, start to pull, he goes, Aah! and then you just see the exploding head of blood all over the windscreen from the interior. Now they've shown the head being pulled apart in the CGI, I was kind of hoping for something more along those lines from the reality, but that didn't happen. Here's a deleted scene. So in the in-cut version, they go to the address where Loomis got the game from, and they speak to the developer. That version isn't in the theatrical version, but the developer's not not much use, to be honest. And then he sends them to a southern drawl speaking librarian or historian who just sits there and goes this game is based on this I can't do a southern rural but it's, it's just it's all based about. on Elizabeth Bathory yeah so. basically so it goes into all of that 
So, yeah, after all that point, October goes into a house by herself, as she fucking do, and gets killed. October tries to kill Bathory using a nail gun, but gets killed because she becomes useless as soon as the bullets don't work. The wrist strap is gay line is mentioned again. Bloody to Frankie, like it's, it's mentioned twice, two or three times throughout the film the, about the, that the wrist strap is gay. And it's just like... I understand that gay was used as a legit insult, not against homosexuality, but just as gay equals bad. Yeah, when I was at school, yeah. it was always like, oh my God, you're gay, that's so but, gay, yeah, oh my God, gay. The thing is, even if you were to use it, you have to use it in a way that's either witty or makes any form of sense. The wrist strap mm. is gay is not either of those things. Looks like a silent hill out there. It's it so does indeed. I'm going to die on the way home. <laughs> so they go to the developer's house. We're on the end run of this now. They go and they go to the house to basically find out what's going on. The developer is now dead, and Swink has to help Hotch. Swink, sorry, is the name of uh, Frankie Muniz. Has to help Swink. H- Swink. He has to help Hutch get to the loft to oh. save Abigail from being murdered. And we find out that he can drop items in the game, and they'll appear in the real world for Hutch to use yeah that's never capitalized on but would have been a really cool element to advance the story had they used it properly because as a concept it's very good it's very much like friday the, uh, not friday the, uh, the nightmare on elm street where you can pull things out from the dream world into the real world yeah but they never capitalize on it it's literally just used to ramp up tension in that one moment and then never used again yeah developers already dead and then while Swink is trying to basically play the game in the van to basically keep the game occupied while they investigate the house, he's going to get killed anyway. So all the rules of the game get thrown out the window. Yeah, because the um, the whole the idea van is locks it, itself, doesn't it, to yes. stop him playing? And he manages to just about save himself, but then he has to go on the run and he shouts, "Bitch, that's cheating! I'm not dead yet!" And all I can think of is the ending part of the uh, intro to Malcolm in the Middle, where it goes, "Life is unfair." but anyway yeah so but there is no logical consistency to the story of this film at that point it kind of loses all of itself they go in they have to murder her i'll just skip the rest of this because most of it's balls because most of it's exposition there's just unnecessary tension to build exposition there is a few things though there's a point where Abigail and Hutch are separated by a door. Hutch has to continue on to kill Bathory, mm. and Bathory is coming to kill Abigail. And Abigail's got one rose, and she spends the whole time plucking the flipping things off, literally going, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. He lo-. I'm like, isn't that reducing the power of your flower? Like, mm. Surely you need all of those you can take her out in one go but now you're just doing that you're kind of just singeing her feet a little bit as she comes towards it's doing nothing of value ah this is in the uncut version as well uh while hutch is for some reason taking the longest period of time in the universe to kill elizabeth bathory he's got the nail on her head as he's about to do it abigail is being tortured by elizabeth bathory and she strings her up and it's stated that she drinks the blood of virgins or the blood of young girls in order to stay young but in the uncut version after she strings her up and just before hutch stops anything elizabeth bathory strings her up and then takes off all of her own clothes so she's standing she's now naked Mm. 
to drink the blood of Abigail. Yeah. So, but there was no mention. Like, I can understand if you bathe in the blood of Virgin, but that's never mentioned. So, uh, I would guess there's two explanations behind that. Explanation one, which gives the director the benefit of the doubt, is the actual legend of Elizabeth Bathory, the real world, like our real yeah. world legend. She does bathe in the blood. And right. to be fair, there is a shot. I remember there being a shot in the game early on where you do see her in a bathtub full of blood. Right. Okay. So maybe that's but, my bad then. But but not giving the director credit because this is the same director who thought that we wanted a pee scene <laughs> um, the director just wants to see butts and boobs yep yep fair play uh, so that's that yeah so they defeat her with a rose but they have to set the room on fire Hutch has a, a mild panic attack and is saved by both Swink and Abigail and all is well that ends well and then right at the very end the very last shot they seem to have won the day she's dead They've killed her properly. And then somehow, despite the fact that everyone who plays it dies, the game passes... MPAA ratings. Yeah, yeah, MPAA ratings. Not, and yeah, not MPAA, that's Motion Picture Association. Um, I'm sorry, it's... Peggy? Peggy. Peggy 16. Peggy 18. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it passes the Peggy ratings, and it also gets approval from Sony to release it on the PlayStation 2. Yeah. And you're like, uh, who survived long enough to approve it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, that's the thing. And the whole thing's like, oh, the haunting will continue. So, isn't she dead dead now, though? Is that not the... Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. The, the, so, This yeah. film is so bad. Yeah, it has no, has no logical consistency anywhere across it. It's a bad, bad film. It's just bad. There's, there's nothing, in my opinion, there is literally not one single redeeming thing about this movie. Apart from October. No, even her... Oh, not enough for you. No. No, fair enough. Like, not enough to make this film watchable. I will never, ever, 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 Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, no, fair enough. I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, Yeah, I will never, ever, ever watch this movie again, ever. Not even the uncovered. I would rather crack the disc and (laughs) gouge my own eyeballs out with the remnants than watch this film again. So so you don't like it, just trying to be clear. It's so (laughs) bad. The characters are bland. They're boring. They're unpleasant. Like, I don't want any of them to survive. The villain is not fleshed out enough to be interesting. She isn't scary. The the graphics of the game... Fair enough, it's 2006. Game graphics were not that good. No, let's talk about the visuals now, because I think this is a good place to cut it in. Right. So we'll start with the CGI animation, right? This So it's very PS2-era intro cutscene, isn't it? Yeah, but the thing is, there are games from that era that were scary. Silent Hill 2, people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? But this Silent is Hill 1 not. was scary. Oh, and that was PlayStation 1 as well. It wasn't yeah. even PlayStation 2 level. Yeah. Res- yeah. The old Resident Evils were scary. Yeah, yeah. It's... it's but it's not, it's not, bear in mind it's a film. This but is the thing, we're talking about the graphical quality. So this was released in 2006. Let's say it was made in 2005, yeah. just to give it an extra year of patience, right? Think about it this way CGI graphics for a horror film funded by Buena Vista slash Disney, right? You would have had a decent enough budget to do something with the CGI, you would have thought. Now, PS2 intro cutscene with the motion blur of the PS2's emotion engine chip is not acceptable. Mm. To put it this way, in 2007, Final Fantasy Advent Children came out. And that looks gorgeous. Yes. I mean, I hate that film, 
But there's no denying it looks incredible. I'm fairly certain 2005 is when Resident Evil Degeneration came out. Yes, I believe it is. And I think 2003 was when Final Fantasy um, Spirits Within Within came out, which looks better, even though everyone's bald. It still looks way better than CGI in this film. Yeah. And there was a lot more of it because the whole thing was CGI. Anything Pixar looks pretty much better than CGI. It's just an ill conceived film. It's essentially a Nightmare on Elm Street, just swap dreams for video game yep and swap all creativity for generic mid-2000s bland yeah now you've got here's the thing so the cgi looked awful Mm. undeniably terrible even for the era even for the budget it looks horrendous then you've got the actual live action shots which comprise most of the film and you already stated quite rightfully so to be honest that everything has that blue-green tint over the top of it yeah. to try and make it more edgy 2000s. That, that was a big... i tell you what film I've always blamed for that is the so, Matrix sequels. Oh, where they green-toned everything. Yeah, yeah, after those Matrix sequels, which, to be fair, I'll, I'll give the Wachowskis this, there was a point to the green tone in those films. Because yeah. that green tone only exists when they're in the Matrix. That's right, and it's more purple tone outside of that, isn't it? Yeah. But every I still other think film... the first Matrix did it better than the sequels. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But every other film since missed that point and just went, green filters on everything. And you get the... It, it looks ugly. Yep, and there's a few shots. Now, if you're going to shoot day for night, Mm. you have to understand where you can angle your camera and what amount of sky and what type of sky you can put in your shot. Yeah. Now, there's the sequence where October goes into the abandoned building by herself. She's outside having a smoke. She sees a haunting and she walks into this abandoned building by herself, gets murdered in there. The other guys come out to look for her, noticing that she's not with them. And they're outside for a considerable amount of time and then realise where she is trying to break into save her and fail. That whole outside sequence has to be, I think, one of the worst looking sequences. Not because it's badly shot per se, but because not only did they blue tone it like they did the rest of the film, but they also tried to darken it so it looked like it was near a night time. But it's very clearly, if you look at the sky, the middle of the bloody day. Yeah, The sky is way too bright for the darkness of the shot. So everything's super dark. You can't make out any details. It's just murky and shite. And most of this film, I think murky is probably a good tone for it. I agree. You, it's, it's murky. You can't even see... like Any details that the camera might have picked up at, at a really nice level have been lost by the abuse of the colour palette and the darkening of the picture to try and make it seem in any way more cinematic or edgy. Mm. They've all, all the. Uh, I'm sure if you did a new scan from the cinema negatives, why you'd need to for this film, I don't know. But if you were to do it, you could probably make a really quite nice looking movie out of it. Because there are a couple of shots where the lighting looks really nice. When they're in the a computer shop and you've got all the red lights and they're mm. under the red lights, those shots actually look really quite nice because of the extreme lighting. If they'd done that across the whole film, I wouldn't have had a problem with it, because at least you would have gone, right, but there was a purpose for it, because you were going to light it extremely and then dial it down. But it's the only shot it really looks consistently good on because of the lighting employed. There is a time lapse. I'm not sure if it was in the theatrical cut, but after Finn dies, the, the stoner guy, there's a time lapse over the body as everything moves across and then the camera swoops in i think it's extended actually in the uncut version i think there's an element of it in the theatrical and that's that shot is beautiful that's a beautifully thought out shot just again ruined by the dialing down of the colors 
what's weird with the developer chat so when they the deleted scene where they chat to the developer looks awful and I mean compared to the rest of the film it looks awful um, probably why it was deleted well I'm not sure if it's that or if it was added in like sort of half-arsed rather than going back to the source negatives as they do with director's yeah. cuts I think maybe for this director's cut what they did instead was they just went well we've got this shot we scanned it once we'll just kibosh it in mm. because it looks horrendous and everything on here the, I mean most of it's it, yeah oh the creepy attic when Abigail goes into the creepy attic on her own it's the brightest the film ever gets and it's meant to be a dark dingy attic now I don't have a problem with that but it's just that the rest of the film is too dark that scene is actually perfectly well lit. Dark, janky CGI. Yeah, it's just vile. The whole thing. Oh, yeah, and there's one shot where they have an actress for Bathory only at the end. There's parts where she's in the real world, but she's all CGI. But at the end, they actually have an actress playing Bathory. But when you see Bathory's face in close-ups, it's the actress, but they've put, like, a really horrible CGI face over her face. Right. And it's like, Why? Because they're not doing anything weird with it other than making her look pale, which they could have done with makeup. Yeah. So that all they've done is ruin the shot and make it look ridiculous. I feel quite bad for the audience because I want to I want to say witty comments, but this film is so bad that it's hard to take the mick out of it. Because it's you know some films you take the mick out of them because you still recognise that the the filmmakers made a valiant effort. Yep. This film just feels sad. I feel sad. There was more of an effort with Super Mario Brothers, would you say? Yeah, this film has got. There is not one ounce of creativity in this movie. No. No. And so you would put this as worse than Super Mario Brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Audio wise, we'll just cut through that quickly. It has a 5.1 surround mix on the DVD. It's obnoxious, but it fits the tone of the rest of the film. None of this film is subtle, intelligent well thought out and so having a sound mix that matches any of those things yeah. would have been out of place it's just obnoxious but that bass haunting sort of vibrating controller sound so annoying in surround sound really obnoxious what else have we got on here horseshoes clocking when Finn is killed by the horse, the wild horses mm. you can hear their hooves clocking yeah. like in the treble but there's no bass to it so he gets run over but it's really it's quite a tinny death in audio oh, okay. and like why isn't there any bass to that like it's been, you should hear that whole <laughs> like in a real like real deep bassy heavy moment in audio but it's it's sucked completely out of it with just because he's dead and you're like really you, you couldn't have put any more heft to that bit mm. that was a bad bit of audio I think that's about it for audio it's serviceable for the most part you can hear what they're saying not that anyone is saying anything of any value. No, no, I've got a thing with fire. It's no big deal. Uh, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Only, only half my body's covered in third-degree burns. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Ain't, it's ain't all nothing. good. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. No. I'll just go over the references quickly, because there's not many of them, because of the type of film it is. And they're all outdated, which is the interesting bit. Yeah, but, I mean, they're dated kind of fair enough for the film, so I'll give it that. Um, so in the very beginning, Loomis is on the phone to someone, I'm pretty certain it's Hutch, and he says, dude, you have to play this game, it's the scariest shit since Fatal Frame. Now, anyone who doesn't know what Fatal Frame is, it's a horror game where you have to use a camera 
to photograph villains, which is interesting because there is a camera in this film with Abigail, and she never uses it on any of the villains. It was released in Europe as uh, Project, Project Zero. Zero. I have got it. I've never gotten around to playing it. Yeah, because I'm not gonna I lie, it Crimson- looks terrifying. Yeah, I've got Crimson Butterfly, mm. uh, which was on the Xbox. Yeah, I've got uh, that I think that's the second one. It is. Yeah, yeah and that's a good game, and that's terrifying as well. That scared me with the door closing when I mentioned. <laughs> that's how scary Fatal Frame is, and unfortunately, Stay Alive is not. <laughs> Later on, I've already mentioned on the toilet when he says to Abigail while she's on the loo that he knows October from playing Unreal Tournament. I've mentioned the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right be a Konami code as a nude code. Hubert is mentioned at one point. Someone is, I think someone's mentioned to be a Cubert champion or someone's just played Cubert a lot. But it's, it's a very quick and almost meaningless reference, really. And then the fact that Alienware, who obviously <coughs> sponsored this film, they used a reflective plastic Alienware front fascia oh to a laptop. God, I forgot that. Bit. Yeah, to kill Elizabeth Bathory by making her see her real face in the surface of a in laptop. the surface of a laptop by Alienware, reflecting reducers since two thousand and six. I've put here. <laughs> I'm fine a lot. Do you like my farts? No. <laughs> I make them for you. I brew them especially. Why would the audience <laughs> like them? Well, I don't know. I, I'm speaking to you now. The last part that I'll go into with references, because there isn't many others, is right at the end. So I mentioned right at the very end, you've got the store employee who gets the PlayStation 2 releases of Stay Alive. During this sequence, there's a Spyro cardboard ward standee behind is, yeah. the employee. While he's walking through, I put Atari Arcade sound effect, but it's not. It's actually Donkey Kong. The sound effect when you put the coins in. Mm-hmm. That sound is heard as he's walking through. But the shop he's in is essentially either in, in America a GameStop in the UK game. There is no arcade cabinets, and there's visually no arcade cabinets. Yeah, so I don't know yeah. what's playing that sound effect as he's walking through. Yeah, Again, it's, it's some numpty bollocks who's doing the audio it's mix. Been added in the post. Yeah, who it? doesn't know what is like, oh, it's gaming, I'll put this in there. It's like, dude, it doesn't fit in that environment. There's Area 51 on the original Xbox. He's advertised on certain cardboard bits around there. When he puts the game into a PlayStation 2, it's a PS2 Slim, and it has its own controller plugged in and next to it. But on the other side, there's an orange third-party Dreamcast controller. On the in other 2006. side... 2006. Yes, five years after the console died. On the other side, the camera then pans out and up. And during that pan up, next to the on the other side are green and blue third-party Dreamcast controllers. And above it are Game Informer books. Now, they're like the kind of prima guides, I think. But Game Informer was, I think, eventually bought by IGN. So, essentially, it's now so dated that the site doesn't exist anymore. There's a shelf above it, which includes a green Dreamcast controller and a blue Dreamcast controller. Again, both third party. However, the more interesting one is a specific light gun called the Konami Justifier. Which is a light blue, like kind of Smith & Wesson style revolver light gun uh, in a baby duck egg blue is it me or is there something sinister about naming a toy gun a justifier yes I think it was to do with the game it came out with which was I think no it wasn't the justifiers I can't remember what it came out with but essentially the Konami justifier light gun in that design came out only for three consoles the Mega Drive, est 1989. <laughs> the SNES, est 1990 or 91. And the PlayStation 1, est 1995. Basically, that light gun had no reason to be in that store at that time. 
in 2006. No. And then there was advertisements for Unreal Championship 2, the Leandri Conflict, which is a freaking amazing game on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. I actually love that game. And you can play it on an Xbox One if you have the disc. What's that called, Unreal? Unreal Championship 2, the Leandri Conflict. Separate from Unreal Tournament. Yes. Essentially, Unreal Championship 2 is a game where it's third person, mm-hmm. but it's still a deathmatch game. But it's, I love the artwork style of it. It's all teal and gold, where it's basically like sci-fi futuristic Egyptian styling. Oh, okay. So it's, it's kind of a really cool aesthetic. I wish they'd bring it back. But yeah, that's all I've got on references. That's basically everything on this film. So, Jamie, you've already stated that you feel it's worse than Super Mario Bros. the movie. You would never watch it again. Is there any point where you would recommend this film to... Like, is there any specifics where you go, I think you'd need to watch this because of this? No. Save yourselves. This... I feel like part of me died when I watched this movie. Um, (laughs) And what's weird is I know you're not exaggerating that. It is so utterly dull and lifeless. Like, I'm not even going to say it's a bad movie in the sense of, you know, like, something like... Sharknado yep. is bad, but it's entertaining because it's bad. Yep. This is just such a forgettable, bland movie that it deserves to die in the <laughs> dust-covered remnants of the past. And to be honest with you, beyond us resurrecting it like it's the fucking mummy which may prove to be the biggest mistake of our lives, (laughs) I literally have never heard anyone else ever talk about this film. And when I actually have mentioned to people that we watched it recently, literally no one knew what I was talking about. Um, All my film friends. This is the mm. definition of a film that has been lost to time and deserves to be lost to time. It's interesting as well because your main genre, your favourite genre, is horror. Mm -hmm. You know a lot of people that are really into horror. Mm -hmm. You'd think the first ever horror movie made by Disney would be known in the horror movie, within the horror... It's not officially made by Disney. By Buena Vista, I suppose. It's made through a Disney subsidiary. I think the first horror movie made by Disney, what they would call a horror movie... Fantasia. ...is um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Is that Disney? Yeah. That's Tim Burton. Yeah, it's Disney. Are you sure? It's in Kingdom Hearts, so it must be Disney. Oh, okay, no, fair play, Um, fair play. or, um, Or what's that one they did that's more horror... I mean, Black Cauldron was quite no, that's horrific. Fair enough. <clears throat> but I'm t- okay. So live action then. First yeah. live action horror. No, no, there is another one. I've got it somewhere. Um, I think <laughs> Song I- of the South. No, <laughs> it is now. There's one that's like a children's horror film. It's Song of the South. Haunted Mansion or something. Oh, I know what you mean. I still think this came first though. Yeah. You think Haunted Mansion was 2010s, wasn't it? I've no idea. Yeah, I'm pretty certain that was 2010s. I and am it, very tired. No, right but now, which is why I'm I'm probably being harsher than you because I, do, being I don't a think film, you're. I, th- I think you're being quite honest being, about this film. To be honest, being a filmmaker myself and knowing how hard it is to make films, I usually try, and that's your name is Paul Anderson, to <laughs> be like I can see what you're trying to do, sort of thing. But I just you knew film. there was no imagination, no originality, no attempt to bring something new to the genre. No one will miss this. If no one on planet Earth ever mentions the words stay alive in the same sentence again, no one on Earth will miss that. So for my own sake, uh, now, 
when we did Super Mario Brothers, Jamie was more down on that than I was, though, again, you've just heard him state it's better than this film. At the very least, Jamie could admit that Super Mario Brothers was unique, and that's something that still draws me to Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Stay Alive is not unique. There is... I, I, I couldn't name you a single thing in this that has any form of uniqueness to it at all. I mean, even the extras, there's... there's on the DVD, there's a game where you have to select three characters with different weapons in the right order, and it will play an extra. And that extra is like a minute and a half long, and it's loads of behind-the-scenes, early CGI shots, design documents, things like that. Stuff that would be interesting if it wasn't going by a million miles a second in that really edgy and freaking monotonously annoying early 2000s style with early 2000s sort of alt-rock soundtrack that's so bland when i put it through shazam shazam went well that could be anything it was, <laughs> it was like oh, all right then it's just it's too generic for shazam to understand yeah so um, even the extras weren't imaginative weren't clever and yeah nothing in the film adds up to being inventive or clever or unique october's hot but it's not enough to pull a film frankie muniz i like frankie muniz he's all right in the role but he's working with what he's given. What he's given isn't good enough. It's an awful, awful movie. It's not so bad that it offends me. Let me put it that way. They're like, I'd still rate it above Uwe Boll films. Uwe Boll films can be so bad that they literally offend you to watch them like, I'm offended that this was made. I wouldn't say I'm like that with Stay Alive, but I would, I would not weep to never be able to see it again. Yeah. And I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I can't think of an environment where this would be a must-watch movie. No. You have anything else to add? No. No, I think no. we've said it all. You want a cream on the floor again? Or are you, you're done with your cream? I'm all out. You're all out of cream. Well, Stay Alive officially dried Jamie up, so we're going <laughs> to leave it there. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. Thank you for joining us today on Video Game, the movie, the the podcast. podcast. Oh, my God, I'm going to have to get used to that. We'll see you next week with a new show. Bye-bye. Bye.